Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. Well, good morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here with you today. Um, Brandon and I met just a few weeks ago for the first time, but um, he and I uh, both are familiar with a lot of the same people. And so when he um, was, uh, you know, making plans to go on vacation, he reached out to my pastor because we are, Sarah and I are members at 22nd Street Baptist Church where Ashley Evans is the senior pastor and he's been there quite a while and we've been there since 2019. So um, I am not currently serving as a pastor, though I have been licensed and ordained to do ministry in Arizona. I am wrapping up my uh, Master's of Divinity this upcoming uh, May, and I have been serving the Lord through vocational ministry since I was 20, which is as of this last week, 20 years ago. (laughs) So if you do the math, you realize I am now over the hill. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) my my hope this morning is to to show you god's word to bring god's word to you and uh hopefully god will speak through his word to us collectively this morning um when we came last week for the first time we visited um, here and I saw your sign up there way family church reverence truth family and service and this concept of family really really resonates with me um, and so what I'm going to be speaking about today is Ecclesiastes chapter 2 while I'm kind of introing you can feel free to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and follow along with me but I just wanted to share a little bit about what God's been doing in my life lately um, so I was uh, raised in a Christian home but didn't really it didn't really click with me my parents were marginally, like they took me to church every week, yes, but they didn't really live out um, the genuine Christian faith. They were often worried about money and often emphasized some of the wrong things to me growing up. Um, God bless them, they're fantastic people, but nobody's perfect. And so um, it wasn't until college where I started reading the Bible um, and I got to Romans 10:9, and it says, if you believe in your heart, Um, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And um, I realized for the first time, because I'd grown up going to church, so we sang songs about Jesus is Lord all the time. And I was like, Jesus is Lord. I I literally, I said, if I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. Well, I want to be saved. I'm wrestling with all these things. And so I remember saying, Jesus is Lord. And like looking around, waiting for the electricity to come and nothing happened. I was like, I don't think that's what it means. And so I started studying that word, Lord, and I realized what it meant is master. It means boss. You don't call somebody your master or your boss unless you are elevating them and lowering yourself. And I realized, well, I've never made Jesus my master. I've never said I'm going to serve him. And so I remember getting down on my knees in my dorm room and saying, Jesus, from this day forward, I'm going to let you make every decision in my life, and I'm going to give you full control over my life. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit entered me, and I was a changed man. And 20 years later, I'm still a changed man because of that moment. 
Shortly after that, I met my wife, Sarah. We've been married now 17 years. Um, we have five beautiful kids. Um, but something went wrong pretty early on. Um, I thought, and I was raised in the era of the 90s where um, love was about getting your needs met and life was about fulfillment. And so I thought to myself, I, I had gone to college to be an electrical engineer. God pretty quickly showed me that was not the path he wanted me to take. And so I said, well, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with my, the rest of my life? What is my vocation? What is my career going to be? Because when you're in college, these are the questions you ask yourself. And I said, what is my career supposed to be? And without waiting, without really listening, I said, ministry. Ministry is the most valuable thing that I can do with my life. I am going to serve God by doing vocational ministry, and I will find fulfillment in work. I'm going to find meaning in ministry. And so I ran after every ministry opportunity I could find. I chased it down. I chased ministry opportunities because I thought, I was going to find fulfillment in serving God through getting paid to do work. And I remember multiple times um, going to a church and being like, God's called me to, to lead worship. I'm a worship leader, and this is what he made me to do, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And the church would say, no, you don't have any experience, and we don't know your character, and we don't trust you. And I was like, God, why aren't you doing this? And so I kept feeling like my life was meaningless because I wasn't doing ministry. Well, fast forward a few years. Uh, it's 2016, 2017. I am now a full-time worship pastor in Pratt, Kansas. I have an amazing church family. We have three kids. And um, I woke up that one morning in, in March after we had finally finished renovating our house and we were living there and I had I, when I was 20, I, you know, I wanted I want a house, I want a car, I wanted a wife and kids and a great job leading worship, and I had everything I'd ever dreamed about. And I woke up and I said, I have never been more miserable. I have never been more miserable. It was 2017. It's taken the last six years for me to get to a place where I'm finally beginning to understand why I was so miserable. And so when Brandon shared with me that he was doing Ecclesiastes, and when he said, I'm going to open up Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and then I'm going to be gone, and I want you to preach Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I read this, I realized that this passage is speaking to me today. That what God has to say in this chapter of his holy, divine word is as much for me as it is for you. And so I titled this message, Chasing Happiness is Meaningless Without Jesus. <clears throat> and the reality is, is that I think many of us are looking for happiness and fulfillment in things that aren't Jesus. I work with college students. That's the ministry that I'm doing right now. That's um, my full-time vocational role is working with Christian Challenge, and, and we work with college students, and college students are always trying to figure their lives out. 
They're trying to figure out what job they're supposed to do. They're trying to figure out who they're going to spend their life with. They're trying to figure out um, what they're interested in and, and, and all those things. Um, and I think many of us, if we're not careful, we can think that, that work, that our career, that our, our marriage, our relationships, is where we get our fulfillment, is where we get happy, is where we find our joy. Is, is having kids, is being married, is getting the right job, or having the right house, or getting the right car, <clears throat> or if I could just get that raise and get that little bit of extra income, then, then I would be settled. But <clears throat> Solomon, the highest king in the history of Israel, he had everything. People came from around the known world at the time to come and see him in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. Solomon says now all of this is vanity. So let's start. We're going to open up into Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Before we do, I just want to say a prayer. Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you have worked in our lives and how you are speaking to us and how you're working in our, um, in our midst and in our presence. I thank you, God, that... Um, that we can find meaning and joy in you. And I just pray, Father, that um, you would speak to us today through your word. Um, while this may sound discouraging, and while this passage may, may be a little bit of a downer, I know that there is hope because of your sacrifice at Calvary. Because of your death and resurrection, we can be saved and we can find true meaning and true happiness. So Lord, I, I just pray that your word would speak to us today that anything that I say that is of me, it would be forgotten, Lord, and that anything I say that is of you would be remembered, Father. And I just pray that um, less of us, more of you, you would be glorified now as we heed, listen to, pay attention to your word, Father. I pray this in your name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 Pleasure is meaningless. Or if you're following along in the ESV and you have chapter headings, this is the vanity of self-indulgence. This is the first point. Pleasure is meaningless. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So this is Solomon talking to himself, right? He's talking to his heart. He's like, come now, heart, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So he's saying, <clears throat> I'm going to drink wine, but I'm not going to just get drunk and, and be you know, completely insane. I'm still going to try and allow wine to make me happy, but still being smart about it. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions for myself, silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered <clears throat> all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All right. Pleasure is meaningless. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm kind of like, like losing my voice here. <laughs> it's contagious, huh? <laughs> so just a reminder, Brandon touched on this last week, but this whole book, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, is written from the perspective of under the sun or under heaven. Um, this, this term, under heaven, under the sun, is, is used six times just in this chapter. And what this means is, is, is that the writer is writing this book from the perspective of a purely humanistic, naturalistic viewpoint. So the whole book is written with the perspective that if we just look at life, look at all there is to see, and we, we go through life with only what we can, only what we can um, experience with our five senses, what we can touch, taste, smell, see, and feel. And so that's what under the sun means. So according to life under the sun, we're looking for meaning without God. We're removing the Lord from the picture. It's an atheistic, naturalistic viewpoint. Um, and what does is, what is, what is Solomon call this? Brandon mentioned this. Uh, Brandon used this term last week, hebel of hebels. So uh, with, uh, what hebel is, is, is it's meaningless. So apart from God, chasing pleasure is meaningless. That is hebel, which, is, which means vapor, mist, um, meaningless, frustratingly unattainable, useless. And the vanity of vanities, remember, that's a superlative. That means it's, it's as meaningless as it gets. Um, you know, we have the best, better, or uh, good, better, best, right? In, in Hebrew, they just repeated the word. So vanity of vanities means it is the most vain, the most missed. Hebel of hebels. So from the perspective of Solomon, the wisest, most powerful, most wealthy man to ever walk the earth pursuing pleasure is missed. And the, he mentions all the kinds of pleasure here. Uh, the pleasure of wine, the pleasure of, of having people around, relationships, the, the pleasure of wealth, the pleasure of having a nice house with a nice garden. He did it all. He experienced it all. And from an earthly perspective, it was all meaningless. There's no value in wealth. There's no joy in relationships. There's no happiness to be found in pursuing pleasure, whether that's the pleasure of another person, the pleasure of consuming some kind of beverage or food, we can have everything that our hearts desire, and we can still experience deep meaninglessness. And so I think sometimes we think the pace, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel the pace of this modern existence is just not the way it's supposed to be. Um, sitting in traffic, working in, inside office buildings, Sometimes I wish I was just born in a different era where I could just 
wake up, go outside to the farm and just work it and then come back in and eat the things that I have grown. You know, no more processed foods, no more, no more waiting in line at the grocery store, just, just simple, honest labor. But that too is meaningless. The, the trying to escape life. You know, if I just had a, if I just had 40 acres out in the desert, you know, and I can grow, grow trees and, and plant, um, and plant gardens and, and have uh, rainwater capture and solar panels. And <laughs> this idea of self-sufficiency has often been very appealing to me. But Solomon had it all. He had everything. And Solomon is the one <clears throat> telling us that here he is, he has it all. And what does he say? He says, I kept my heart, so this is verse 10, halfway through verse 10, I kept my heart from no pleasure. And it says, my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. So he's saying that he worked, and he, got, he, got, he experienced pleasure from his work. He experienced the pleasure of planting a tree and then eating its fruit. And what does he say? And behold, all was vanity and a striving for wind. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. Pursuing the pleasures of this life will not bring you happiness, will not bring you meaning. Getting a good degree, going to, if you're a young person, you know, finishing school, getting good grades, getting a degree, getting a job is not going to bring you meaning. It's not going to provide meaning to your life. Getting married, finding a spouse is not going to bring meaning to your life. Having kids or not having kids, not going to bring meaning to your life. There is nothing that you can do here on earth that will bring meaning to your life. Nothing. Nothing that you can see. Nothing. You're just like, oh, man, I really, I, I want to travel. I, I want to go see uh, the whole world. You know, there's places in Europe I want to see, and there's places in Australia I want to see, and there's places in Africa I want to see. But there's nothing I can see on this earth that's going to bring me one ounce of meaning. I've stood at the Grand Canyon and looked across that vast, I've stood there at winter, I've stood there in summer, I've stood there in spring, it's beautiful. And it, it brings a sense of, of wonder. It does not fill my life. It will not bring you meaning. It's fleeting. There's nothing you can touch. There's no physical experience you can have. There's no, there's no, there's no nothing you can taste. There's nothing you can consume. You know, kind of a foodie. I like tasting different foods. I like, I like spice. I like different flavors. I, none of that will bring meaning. You with me? So as we move on, <clears throat> what, so if there's no meaning in, in the experience of living, maybe we can try well, wisdom. All right? So as we move on to verses 12 through 17, the next point, and this is according to Solomon, wisdom is meaningless. Uh-oh. So let's read, starting in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is 
no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Okay, so you're like, all right, I agree with you. I agree with you that <clears throat> living for pleasure is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. But you know what? I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm not going to pursue pleasure. I am going to discipline myself, and I am going to avoid smoking and avoid drinking and avoid dancing like a good Baptist person. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw it all out the window, and I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay any attention to what my senses tell me or my feelings tell me. I'm going to pursue a life of wisdom. They call it asceticism, right? This is the, the, the great, um, some of the heroes, the of the faith who started the monastic movement and they would go out into the desert and they would they would be they would take vows of poverty and they would fast and they would they would deny themselves and solomon did the same thing and what does he say this is also folly this is also hebel of hebels this is also vain meaningless empty and why is it because it doesn't matter how good you are doesn't matter how perfect you live your life, how many great decisions you make, how much pleasure you avoid, you are also going to die. We are all going to die. Death is inescapable for us. So here we have the, one of the greatest kings of all time, one of the wisest men, and so what does he say? He says, what can the man do who comes after the king? He's looking at his life. And we know from Scripture that Solomon's son was a bit of a fool. Solomon's son ended up having the kingdom split in half because instead of listening to the wisdom of his father's advisors, he listened to the wisdom of his peers. And the wisdom of his peers was foolishness and ended up splitting the kingdom in half. And so my suspicion is that Solomon knows that his son is pretty foolish. And so he's looking at his legacy and he's saying, without, in a very polite, appropriate way, he's not just calling his son an idiot here or a fool, but he's saying, what can the man do who comes after the king? So... Solomon says there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? This is vanity. Living a life of asceticism, giving up pleasure, denying yourself for the purpose of saying that I'm living well. Again, this is under the sun, without God, without, without taking up your cross and following Jesus, without the following Jesus, denying yourself is meaningless. And I think sometimes I see this in churches because I think that God's word tells us that we should look different. God's word says that Christians, people who follow Jesus, are transformed. We're, we're, there's something that should be noticeable in us. 
that our lives should be marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. We should be different. We we should talk different and act different to our classmates and the kids in school with us and the people we work with. But what happens is we fail to see that transformation take place. And so what we do is instead of working towards helping our hearts grow closer to Jesus and instead of pouring more energy into our spiritual development, we start trying to make external changes. So we say, okay, well, as a Christian, I should stop smoking. And that's not bad. Yeah, I don't think we should surrender our lives to substances. We shouldn't be under control of substances. That's not bad. But we say, okay, I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to start dressing differently. I'm going to start acting differently. And so what we do is we have all these external things that we change. We change this stuff on the outside. But then instead of having our hearts be transformed and having that be the source for these changes, we so focus on these external changes that all of a sudden we aren't different, we're divisive. We, We start saying, well... If you're going to be a Christian, you have to walk like me and talk like me and act like me, dress like me, smell like me. You have, to, you have to do all these external things. But that is meaningless. These may be wise decisions to make. I'm not going to listen to bad music anymore. I'm not going to watch bad TV anymore. That's wisdom, okay? You're not going to smoke. That's, that's wisdom. You're not going to swear like a sailor. That's wisdom. But without the internal changes without the transformed heart, that is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's dangerous. Pursuing that only separates us from the people that God loves and he's called us to reach. You have to understand, living wisely, making good decisions is better, right? Solomon says it's better to be wise than to be foolish. It's better to make good decisions than bad decisions but it's vanity. Just doing things different on the outside of you isn't going to fix your broken heart, your sinful nature, the desires that you have, the the mindset, the, the feelings of rage that come up when someone cuts you off on the road. The problem isn't that you act out. You're like, well, I'm I'm a good Christian because I don't swear, and I'm a good Christian because I don't, you know, I don't retaliate, and I'm a good Christian because I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. But if you got angry in that person in your heart, you failed Jesus. The problem isn't the, the behaviors. The problem is the desire in the heart. And so that, that's what Solomon's saying here. He's saying it's not about what we do. Because if we only focus on the external things, the things that we do, it's vanity. Vanity. So, not only is pleasure meaningless and living wisely meaningless, but the third thing that we're going to see here is work is meaningless, or the vanity of toil. We're going to read verses 18 through 23. Remember, this is Solomon. He has it all together from an earthly perspective. What does he say? 
I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. The man who comes after Solomon is his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, again, was a fool. And so this is Solomon's way of saying, I'm going to have to leave all these wonderful things I've built, this whole kingdom, all this stuff, to the one who comes after me. And, and here he says, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Solomon has a suspicion. He's, he's suspecting that his son is foolish. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity." And when I read this this week to prepare for this, I realized this is what God was saying to me. Remember at the beginning when I told you that I thought ministry was going to fulfill me? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's just work. And let's, and maybe you think that if you could just get a better job, a job that didn't have quite so many headaches, a job that didn't have to deal with quite so many people the way that you do, or your coworkers were better, your boss was nicer, the work you had to do wasn't so bad. If you, just, if you could just change your job, then, then you could find meaning. And you know what? In my 20 years of striving to do ministry, you know what I, you know what the cost of that is? trying to find purpose and fulfillment in my work. I nearly lost my marriage. I nearly lost my relationship with my children because I was so wrapped up trying to find meaning in my work, in ministry, that I failed to find pleasure and joy in the things that God had already given me. I said, man, work is really painful right now. Work is really hard. This church is really difficult to serve. You know what'll fix it? A different church. You know what'll fix it? A different job title. You know what'll fix it? Better behaved kids. A friendlier wife. Hmm. That was sin. It was sin in my heart. That was failure. That was me seeking meaning from my work. Meaning does not come from your labor. Work is work. In Genesis chapter 3, God cursed work. Work is going to suck. <laughs> There's going to be bad. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter what company it is. It doesn't matter what you're doing. <clears throat> work is going to have bad days. Work is going to have hard things. Work is going to be difficult and challenging at times. And it may be difficult and challenging completely. And if you're trying to get your value from your work, that is going to destroy you. It is going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt the people around you. But if your value comes from something other than work, you go to work, work sucks, you come home and have a great rest of your day because you're getting to hang out with your kids. 
you work 40 hours, 50 hours during the week. It's hard. It's painful. You don't like it. But you come to church on Sunday and you worship with your family. Work is meaningless under the sun. Okay? So I know this sounds hopeless. We've been talking about how pleasure is meaningless. Living wisely is meaningless. Labor, work is meaningless. And it doesn't matter. You know, for years, like I said, I, I kept dreaming, oh, if only I could have a homestead, and if only I could have cows, and then I would just milk my cows, and I'd grow my vegetables, and then I didn't have to go grocery shopping. I didn't have to work for the man. You know, like, I, I, I had all these, all these crazy, crazy, like, thoughts that if only I could do this, then I would be fulfilled then our family would be healthy. And it was vanity. Every time I got one step closer to my dream, more of it had slipped away. It's like chasing the wind. You can't chase the wind. Now, I want to finish by saying that contentment without Jesus is meaningless or contentment in God and his gifts. This is how Solomon ends it. And I'll be honest with you, Ecclesiastes is a very depressing book because it's written from life under the sun. So starting in verse 24 through 26, we're going to read this. And it says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Wait wait a second. Paul's con- uh, Solomon's contradicting himself, isn't he? He said, he said pleasure is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Work is meaningless. So now he's saying there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. But what does he say? This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So our hope this morning is not in finding pleasure in the things of this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And what Solomon says here isn't necessarily a promise. It's not a commitment that God makes that just because you're a sinner or one, just because you please God doesn't mean you're going to have riches and wealth, and just because you're a sinner doesn't mean, you know, you can't have happiness, and you're not automatically going to get, you know, the church isn't automatically going to be given everything from the people in this community who don't follow Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that those who find their meaning and contentment not under the sun, right? If you look for meaning contentment under the sun, that is here on earth, in this physical plane, in this physical life that we live, if you search for your meaning and existence here, you will be disappointed. It's chasing after wind. Hebel of Hebel's vanity. But if you turn to God, if you seek the Lord, if you find your meaning in your relationship with Jesus, then all of a sudden, everything else has meaning. The first thing that we need to see is finding enjoyment in what you do. So again, like I said, Romans 10.9, confessing Jesus is Lord, believing your heart God raised from the dead. If you want to have joy and purpose and contentment in this life and the things that you do, it's a very simple step. There's, there's three steps. You've heard the ABCs. The first part is to admit you're a sinner. 
Acknowledge how you have broken faith with God. Acknowledge the things that you've done. Acknowledge it. We're not talking about making promises to change. We're not talking about, I'm going to do this. and I'm No, 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 no. Step one, acknowledge. That just means you put it out on the table. You say, God, I have an issue with pornography. God, I have an issue with uh, drug addiction. God, I have an issue with adultery, adulterous thoughts. God, I'm vain. God, I get pleasure from hurting other people. God, whatever that thing is that you know is wrong, you put it out on the table in front of you and you acknowledge it. You say, God, here's who I am. Then you believe in the power of the resurrection. That's what it means to believe Jesus is Lord, to believe that God raised him from the dead, is believe in the power of the resurrection. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is what ultimately allows us to have a relationship with him. So you believe that your sins are covered. You believe that you've been washed. You believe that, that there is nothing that separates you from the love of God. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you will do. You must believe. And believe is, is just say, this is true. You say, it is true that even though I acknowledge who I am, here's all this ugly stuff about me that's on this table, what I do is I believe, I say, God, I may not feel it, it may not seem true, but I'm going to say that this is true. God, I know that it is true that your death and resurrection has completely washed all of that away. It is, it is gone. I believe that. I'm going to hold to that truth, and I am not going to let that truth go. No matter what Satan tells me, no matter what my feelings tell me, no matter what memories I have about the evil I did, the harm I caused that person, the damage I've done to my wife, the damage I've done to my kids, I believe that as a narcissist. I put that on the table and I believe that because Jesus' death and his resurrection proved his power over death, that there is nothing, nothing that can separate me from God. So I acknowledge my evil, acknowledge my sin, believe in the power of the resurrection, confess Jesus as Lord. This is where you say, because I've been cleaned, because I'm a sinner who's been washed, now I can follow you, Jesus. Now I can follow you. I don't know what it is you have for me to do, right? God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's not it's not football stadium lights that illuminate 100 yards in every direction. It's a lamp to my feet. God isn't going to give you the picture. I have an image in my mind of how my life is like sitting on a train. And I'm sitting on the train looking out the window, right? The train's going this way. And I have a seat right here, and I'm looking out the window. And a lot of times in my life, I've looked out the window, and God's shown me a glimpse of something. And the first thing I'm trying to do is bust, is like run as fast as I can to the engine and like, like, hey, conductor, when am I getting off? Where are we going? Like trying to look out the front when no. God just wants me to sit here and he wants me to look out the window today and he wants me to trust him. Trust that he's got it. I'm on a train. The destination's set. <laughs> 
There's no, there's no amount of stressing, anxiety, worrying, <laughs> striving that I can accomplish that's going to change the direction of this train one bit. So it's better just to sit down and enjoy, enjoy the ride. And that's what Solomon's saying. Find enjoyment in what you do. Based on your relationship with Jesus, your identity in Jesus, your purpose is in Jesus. The meaning of your life comes from knowing Jesus, having Jesus working in you, having Jesus change you, having the power of the gospel lived out in you. So find enjoyment in what you do because you're doing it for the glory of God. Whether you're a, check, you're a register, you're a cashier at a supermarket, you are checking groceries for the glory of God. You know, I was talking with someone just before church, and they're, they're moving hay for the glory of God. I'm, I'm working for a friend of mine. We're doing AV work, and I'm, I'm helping him keep track of his finances. I'm keeping track of finances for the glory of God. We can find enjoyment in what we do because our purpose and our, our fulfillment comes from Jesus. Next thing is, apart from him, there is no joy. And this is, this is what this passage is showing us, that outside of a relationship with Jesus, outside of life above the sun, we, if we just look at things here on earth, there is no joy. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. But if we fix our gaze outside of this, there is joy. And the last thing is life's true fulfillment is only attainable through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you believe this or know this or not, but this book is, is, is 66 little books, but there's one story that starts at the beginning, goes through the end. And that story is this. We were created by an eternal, almighty, powerful, divine, loving being. Name is Yahweh. Name is Jesus. Same same God from Genesis through Revelation. We were created for relationship with this God. This God lives in a state of ununderstandable, unknowable, eternal relationship. Call it the Trinity, one, one God, three persons, one being, God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They live in relationship. And for some reason unknown to us, He has created us to enter into that relationship. The Father created us, the Son has saved us, and the Spirit now indwells us. Our fulfillment is only attainable through Jesus. So this morning, if you're here and you're saying, man, I really, really have messed up, kind of like I had, there is hope. There is always hope because God is good. And maybe this morning you're like, I don't have that relationship. I need to find meaning. I'd encourage you. I'll be available after the service. I'm sure Brandon would love to talk to you next week. I know there's your card somewhere, your, con your connection card. We'd love to have you fill that out. Just let us know that you're interested in having a relationship with Jesus and talking to somebody about that. And maybe this morning you're just, you're just sitting there like, what's the next thing I can do? What's one thing I can do today? I think we should all, whenever we encounter the Word of God, we should all look for ways we can change. And I, my, my encouragement to you would be, Look for ways to find joy, even in the hard things this week, the difficult things. Look for ways to find 
contentment in the struggle of life because you are not alone. You are not alone. We have a friend who walks with us. Let me pray as the uh, worship team comes back up. Is that correct? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the purpose and the meaning and the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We love you and we're grateful for you. I pray that you would work on our hearts. You would transform us and change us, renew us, Lord. I pray that if there's anybody here today that needs to take that step into having a relationship with you, they would, they would step out in faith. And then today would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray if there's anybody here who's still holding on to their sinfulness, that they're sitting there wondering, how could God ever forgive me for doing this? I pray that they would lay it out before you and they would believe in the power of the resurrection, Father. It's a historical fact that we believe in. We know it really happened. But Jesus, your word says that if you did not come back from the dead, then we are to be pitied most of all. But of course you came back from the dead. It seals us. And now your spirit works in us. So I pray that we would lay down all of our shame, all of our sin, and we would just be children, sheep, who cling to you, abide in you. You would warm our hearts, Father. You would fill us with joy, and you would help us draw closer to you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.